This week's episode of the Rural Woman Podcast is brought to you by the patrons of the Rural Woman Podcast. This amazing group of individuals contribute financially to the Rural Woman Podcast to ensure the stories of women in agriculture hit your earbuds each and every week. Want to join them in supporting the stories of women in agriculture while getting access to extended episodes, patron-only episodes, and other great perks? Head on over to wildrosefarmer.com to learn more about how you can become a patron through Patreon. Welcome to the Rural Woman Podcast, a platform for women in agriculture, ranching, homesteading, and more. To share their stories. I'm your host, Caitlin Dubin. Hey everyone, welcome to this week's episode of the Rural Woman Podcast. Today, you'll meet Jessica Greendeer. Jessica is a Ho-Chunk Nation tribal member from Baraboo, Wisconsin, and a member of the Deer Clan. She is currently the seed keeper and farm manager at Dream of Wild Health, Dream of Wild Health is an intertribal, independent nonprofit that serves the Minneapolis St. Paul Native American community. Each year, Dream of Wild Health teaches Native American youth about gardening, cooking, and culture while developing job and leadership skills throughout youth programs. Dream of Wild Health also runs a CSA called the Indigenous Food Share and sells produce at three farmers markets in the Minneapolis and St. Paul area. Prior to her time at DWH, Jessica has spent time working as the Agricultural Division Manager for her nation and has previously served as a garden mentor with her nation's organic community garden. Jessica is also a U.S. Army combat veteran and has completed the Veteran to Farmer Training Program at the Rodale Institute in Pennsylvania. It was absolutely my honor to get to know Jessica better through our interview and to learn the amazing things that she and her team are doing at Dream of Wild Health. Be sure to share this episode on social media today. Take a screenshot and tag me at Wild Rose Farmer and tag Jessica and her team at Dream of Wild Health. As well, if you are able to, please consider making a financial contribution to the folks at Dream of Wild Health to say thank you to Jessica for taking the time to share her story on the podcast today and help their team continue to do the amazing work that they're doing. I will be sure to leave the links to contribute to Dream of Wild Health in today's show notes. Without further ado, my friends, let's get to this week's episode with Jessica. Good morning, Jessica. Welcome to the Rural Woman Podcast. Good morning, Caitlin. It's so be with you here today. I am very excited to get to know you a little bit better and to learn more about Dream of Wild Health, where you currently work and the mission that you guys have, all of the great things. So let's dive in. Give us your background and how you got your start in agriculture. Absolutely. My name is Jessica Greengear. I'm a member of the Ho-Chunk Nation and Deer Clan. The Ho-Chunk Nation is in our ancestral lands, which is now known as the state of Wisconsin. Although I lived and grew up in a very rural, heavy state, I did not grow up as a farmer. I found my way to agriculture through working at a large financial institution, later joining the U.S. Army, 
and then doing a veteran farming program. And here I am today. So I had a very back roads way of finding agriculture, but I'm grateful to be on it. That sounds like a very long road to agriculture. (laughs) (laughs) It is. So what was it following your military career that led you to agriculture? There are many reasons why, but a lot of it, really my inspiration for looking into agriculture was my father. My father had, he was dying in 2014 of complications from colon cancer. And before he passed, he had started up a community garden within one of our Ho-Chunk communities. And he also talked about how broken our food system was. And my initial intent for wanting to become a farmer was to be able to take care of essentially my own family and my extended family. And after I went to the Rodale Institute, you know, my views broadened and I wanted to change the food system for my tribe. (laughs) And of course, that's no easy feat, but it's something that continued to motivate me. So when I did get done with my training program, I came back to my people and worked in those gardens that my dad had initially envisioned. From there, I moved to the agricultural department of my tribe and tried to get more work going towards the food sovereignty and going. And that eventually led me to Dream of Wild Health. That is such, that's a beautiful road to come back and to really honor your father's legacy of starting these gardens or being a part of these gardens and really continuing that for him. So that's beautiful. Oh, thank you. Can you tell us more about the program that you attended at the Rodale Institute in Pennsylvania, the Veteran to Farmer Training Program, and tell the listeners, if they're unfamiliar with it, what the program is? So during our year of after our father started his journey to the next world, I was doing different researching, like what I was going to do next. I didn't necessarily want to do the civilian counterpart for the position I had in the Army. And I found uh, different veteran to farmer training programs that was listed on the Department of Veteran Affairs website and came across the Rodale Institute. And the Rodale Institute is the home of organic agriculture. And so they have their annual field day. My sister and I got into my Jeep and we drove to Pennsylvania (laughs) went to the field day and we're like, oh my God, this is what this, and of course it's a lot to take in at the time. I think they had 333 acres. And so of course that's a lot, you know, I think of it as a lot now, but I thought this is perfect. Like this is what people need and signed up for their program and ended up moving to Pennsylvania like a month later to start classes. And so the program is like a year long. It's not only classroom at Delaware Valley University, which is a local university. But then you also have farm practicum training that you're doing on various farms throughout the area. So I was not working at a CSA farm, but I also worked at an urban wholesale farm. And then I also worked at the Rodale Institute, or did a lot of my intern hours there. But you learn everything from the soil to live to orchards, bees, and then, of course, like their field systems training, which is like the longest-running side-by-side organic and conventional comparison farm or trial. We learned so much. <laughs> it was a lot to definitely cram in, but I think the stakes were so high that, yeah, I just became a sponge and like a, tried to glean as much as I possibly could learning from the different experts that they have on staff there, as well as all of the different farms that we would go visit to during that time. That is very cool. And 
it just sounds like such a neat opportunity for someone to find a new career after the military and to find something to do with their hands and to be with nature and all of the good stuff. So that is a very neat program. And I'm happy that you're doing that and be able to kind of work that into what you're doing today at Dream of Wild Health. Can you tell us more about Dream of Wild Health and what you guys are doing over there in Minnesota? So Dream of Wild Health, our mission there is to restore health and well-being in the Native community by recovering knowledge of and access to healthy Indigenous foods, medicines, and life ways. And our sort of target in that is our youth. We, you know, the youth come to the farm every year. They plant, they harvest, they weed. You know, they're doing all the type of field maintenance, learning how to do that. But then they're also harvesting and preparing those foods. You know, there's a lot of different programs out there, but ours is very unique that I wish we could have Dream of Wild Health everywhere. And not just community, but for all people and especially other communities of color. But yeah, that's it's an amazing, amazing organization. And it's definitely my dream job. I'm not saying that because I still wear, <laughs> um, you know, we have this unique opportunity to be able to share everything that we know with our future generations so they can outlearn us and that they are today because they have such a huge responsibility of stewarding an earth and getting it ready for their children and grandchildren. So it's a very definitely a, more of a multi-generational focus because we're not focused on today, but how the decisions we make with the soil and the way that we farm will affect our future generations. Absolutely, absolutely. When was this organization started? So it initially started back in the 1990s. It was actually called Pedewakan TP, which is a Dakota name, as the farm and the community we serve was both on Dakota and Ojibwe ancestral land. So initially started as like a, almost like a rehabilitative housing program for not only people in recovery from like different drug and alcohol abuses, but then also friends. And it then evolved into back around 1999, 2000, it evolved more into the youth program. So the original founder, Sally Oje, her and her husband did not work with trying to support the community, but Sally knew that, you know, like although she was teaching adult people how to learn how to eat again <laughs> or learn how to incorporate healthy foods. She knew that she had to get the people when they were kids. So that way they had those healthy life ways through their entire life and not just something that they would come back to as an adult. Absolutely. That is key, right? Teaching our children right. not only healthy eating, but also how to grow this healthy food. So then they're growing up and doing this their entire life and teaching their children how to do that. And this is the new normal for them, right? So can you tell us what you're growing on your farm? Almost what we're not growing. <laughs> <laughs> we have a little bit of everything. So not only our you know, usual garden variety of vegetables to support not only our youth program, but our farmer's markets and our version of the CSA, which is called the Indigenous Food Chair. But then we also steward Indigenous seeds. And Indigenous seeds are any within what is now called the Americas. So, yeah, we have a lot. <laughs> we ha we've been able to grow a lot of food on 10 acres. Just last March or March 2020, we closed on another 20 acres of land just down the street. So that land, I'm focusing it more into agroforestry. 
So that way we do have some tillable acreage, but we're also helping improve the wildlife installations by providing those different windbreaks, as well as another food source, you know, with our fruit, nuts and berries that we'll be growing. That is very neat. And the agroforestry thing, I just think it's brilliant and just such a great way to diversify the land and continue to build healthy soils and all of the things. So congratulations on your new land. I just think that's going to be so great for you guys. Oh, it is. Thank you so much. Tell me about your Indigenous food share. How did that come to life from kind of molding it from the CSA? Yeah, so the IFS was definitely something before my time. I've been with the organization. This will be my third season with the organization. But they started that, and what we did last year was try to incorporate more foraged foods as well. So we have an amazing community outreach coordinator who's also an elder and a linker. So she's been so amazing to watch as we, like, follow the season. She knows exactly what's available at that time in different places. And so incorporating some of those foods as well. That is very neat. So on your job title, on your fancy job title, you are known as a seed keeper. Can you tell us more about that and the significance of seed keeping for you? Yes, it's definitely paralleled with my time as learning how to become a farmer and how to be a good steward to the earth. When I initially came home to my people to start working in the community, there were seeds that started finding me. Um, so different ancestral seeds that my ancestors carried since time immemorial. People were giving me seeds in jars and coffee cans and little baggies and envelopes. Seeds were from elders within my community that could no longer grow on their own again. And so they needed some help, but also wanted to share those seeds. Same were seeds that my father had actually saved. So my father was giving seeds away to different people within the community and I had the honor to be able to grow those same seeds that my father without me knowing. So I've been trying to reconnect with my own ancestral seeds. And some of those seeds are located in different institutions and different seed houses and trying to get those seeds to come home so their people can grow with them again. And that's sort of what brought me to Dream of Wild Health as a, a very good friend of mine, Diane Wilson, the previous executive director. We had been in t- just talking and she was like, I'd love for you to come and tour the farm. And I thought, how am I going to tour a farm in December? <laughs> I, I still accepted her invitation and came up. And she was like, you know, we're looking for funding to be able to have somebody come and just work on the indigenous seeds. I, of course, left my farm tour that day with a job and came and just concentrated on the indigenous seed collection at Dream of Wild Health. From there, last year then was promoted to farm manager. So, you know, it's definitely a tightrope walk where you're, you know, on my ancestral side, it's about regenerating the seeds and multiplying them and getting them back into the hands of their community members. But it's also about trying to responsibly farm. And a lot of my focus goes into building the soil so our seeds do have a good life that they live at least for one season at a time. They get to continue to live on after that, right, with the seed saving and exactly sharing them with people, whether it's part of their ancestry or just connecting to them with, with different healthy foods. Definitely, yes. You can help support the stories of women in agriculture to be shared through the Rural Woman podcast on Patreon. What is Patreon? 
It's a membership-based platform that helps fund and support creators like me to create and produce content like this that you all love. New to the Rural Woman Podcast Patreon is ad-free listening and patron-only bonus content and exclusive episodes. Learn more and join the patron gang today at patreon.com slash the Rural Woman Podcast. Tell us more about the youth programming. I just think it's it's amazing what you're doing and connecting people to this way because it's 2021. And I know for me, I grew up in agriculture and agriculture wasn't a part of my life. I think back to having the small garden that we had for a short time in our home in the city and just thinking back to being kind of that young person and so unaware of where my food came from to even being an adult at one point and not knowing where my food came from. Tell us more about what's happening with the youth in your area and why this is youth programming is so important. Definitely. I kind of had the same experience with gardening when I was a child. I kick myself now because I had amazing grandparents on both family that were either producing their own food or We're also harvesting and preserving it in other ways. With my mother's parents, they had this large victory garden or what some people would call it. But she would have me and my siblings in her garden every day for at least an hour. And we'd be doing some weeding or maybe some watering. And I always thought of it as a punishment (laughs) because I was a, and I just wanted to be out playing. And so I, you know, I think back now and I'm like, oh my God, the questions I could have asked her or, you know, just all of the different help I could have gotten. Now I have the honor of working with kids who are enjoying themselves in the garden. <laughs> so we have several different programs that we offer our youth. We have the Cora's Kids, and Cora Baker was the original seakeeper who donated her colonial house back in the 90s. And so one of the programs is named in her honor. But those are for like our 8 to 12-year-olds, and they learn sort of the basics of agriculture and just sort of scratching the surface for their just to help understand uh, food sovereignty in general. And then our older youth are part of our Garden Warriors program, which are 13 to 18-year-olds, and they have a almost like a three-week program. So they do a lot of learning, and then they also go out and forage in different areas of the community. So, yeah, it's definitely hopeful. <laughs> the program that we offer, the Youth Leaders Program, which essentially are garden warriors who've sort of graduated into a year-long program. So just this past weekend, we did a seed-saving act. So normally we would be meeting in person, but instead we met virtually where our community programs coordinator, she was able to drop seeds off to each of the participating youth. And then we got on a Zoom call, we snapped beans together, and just getting them ready for the growing season. That is very neat. And so Moving forward with your programming this year, are the youth able to come to the farm with COVID restrictions or are they growing at home or where they are? Yeah, so last year we did donate raised bed kits to some of our youth who were interested. So some of the youth were able to grow at home and we'd have to be 15 youth per session. And last year we had to drop it down. So I think there was one session that had eight participants, another one had 13. So due to COVID, we had the books that we had in one during each session. The way we had it organized last year was essentially if it was a 
a multi-kid family for the one session. I think we had three or four differently participating, but it was essentially so we were keeping them together. And it was definitely challenging. We're just sort of waiting for any new guidance that comes out for summer programming for this year. But we will have our youth in session. We take hand-washing breaks every half hour. Everybody wears a mask, and then we social distance even though we're outside. Right. Well, I think for them to be able to have those areas at their homes where they're able to grow food in their home and right there in their neighborhood, in their community, I think that might be a good thing for them because they see it outside their window and their neighbors are able to see it and think, what are they doing over there? What are what are they growing? And maybe, you know, start a trend in the neighborhood. <laughs> Definitely. And I, I know I can test to like the healing energy of the earth. I know for me, I had struggles or challenges with PTSD when I was coming out of the military and working with the earth has healed me. So I know that, you know, that's probably the best thing for us when we can't gather together is to be able to spend that time with the earth and nurture the seeds of what we're growing. Absolutely. So it's more about 2020 and what that looks like for Dream of Wild Health and the programming that you offered and the food shares that you offered. Take us back through 2020 and how the pandemic affected you and how it's still affecting your organization today. Yeah, you know, just as the growing season was going to begin is when the stay-at-home order hit and, you know, farmers were still considered essential workers, so we were still showing up at the farm. We all wore masks. We sanitized everything. I had gifted all of the farmers, like, a personal sanitizer bottle, so anything that we touched, we made. And, I mean, it felt like overkill, but we also didn't want to take any chances. And, of course, at the beginning, there wasn't a lot of clear guidance on how how the disease was or the, the virus was transmitted, whether it was surfaces, you know, or just droplets. So there were a lot of questions. And as I waited to see what the guidance was coming out of like the Department of Agriculture, there were some other farms in the area that were deciding just for the season, just because I didn't know how they were going to operate. And when I heard that, I was like, we can't our community can't afford for us to shut down so many challenges with food access already. And it just exacerbated how broken the food system is within the community we serve. And we started, we of course sold out of our IFS and then we ended what was called food security shares. So anybody who needed just a bag of food for the week was able to access that. We ended up donating more than two and a half tons and that went into not only the chefs that were supporting different elderly people, we donated to them as well as like different elderly centers. And then, of course, our youth, I'm sure that if there was anybody who had uh, joblessness in the home, that they were still able to access food. I'm exhausted thinking about it because <laughs> it's the most food that we've ever grown. We ended up growing more than eight tons of food last year. And normally we're closer to like seven. It was definitely a lot of work, but it was definitely very rewarding. It was the only way that we could fully support the community. And I think a lot of people appreciated that. And then this year we had our public sale for our IFS and it's five hours. Um, so there were, there's a lot of people who loved what we were able to do. Um, 
we did shut down the farm for a safety precaution, but everything was all good. So one instance where we shut down, but the rest of the time it was hustling to support the community. I like what you said about just thinking back of 2020 and being exhausted. And I think that's the overall consent people, I think. (laughs) Oh boy. I know. And I'm grateful we love what we do. (laughs) Well, and that really plays a part in it, right? If you don't love what you, then it is a continual battle of being exhausted or fighting exhaustion. But knowing what you're doing is Mm -hmm. helping your community and feeding people. That is absolutely a rewarding part of it all. Definitely. So hopes for the future for Dream of Wild Health. The hope for this year is that we're going to continue to work on building the soil at the new land. It was previously farmed, so we have a lot of work ahead of us, but it's not impossible. So we'll be getting getting that land ready for windbreak plantings in 2022, but just planting more cover crop this year and seeing what other amendments we're able to put into the soil there. On the existing land is just to continue to improve the soil, but then also improve and build upon all of the great, great work we did last year. And so I hope to not, (laughs) we were able to add a couple new positions for this year, and I'm grateful that we're able to get the funding for that. But it's just trying to continue to build, or to spread our wings. We're now made by American Indian Food Producer through the Intertribal Agriculture Council. And so not only will we be reaching people within our community, but also outside of our other uh, Native organizations across Turtle Island. And Jessica, what are your hopes for the future in regards to Indigenous food sovereignty? It's definitely a work in progress. What I want to do is be able to do better than I did yesterday and continue to educate people, continue to be a support network for people who are trying to get started. But I'm grateful that I have the opportunity to help shape the future one youth participant at a time. Absolutely. And I love that better than you were yesterday. And I think that is (laughs) something we'll be striving for. (laughs) (laughs) For the listeners who would like to connect with you or perhaps support Dream of the Wild Health, where can they go? So we can be found on the web at dreamofwildhealth.org. And at that point, you can also connect with us through our staff page and also our email. And all of those different email addresses are there on the website. We're also on social media, Facebook, Instagram, Twitter, and I think even LinkedIn. All of the good places. (laughs) All of the places. Jessica, my (laughs) last question for you today is what is the most rewarding part about being a farmer for you? Wow, that's a huge question. You know, I think the most rewarding part for me is You know, you can sit at a desk and have an office job and maybe you've gotten through a pile of work and you have that sense of accomplishment. As a farmer, you can look back behind you and see everything you've weeded or see everything that you've harvested and know that 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 food is going into a good place, whether it's your own pantry or out to be able to share it with others. And I think that's what's so, so beautiful is that You know, we often take for granted the food that comes onto our plate, but as a farmer, you get to see actually from seed to seed what those foods look like, evolution that they have every single season. I'm so grateful to be a part of that, to sort of get out of the rat race and be able to and just to be with all the living things.
That is perfect and very well said. I always save the hardest question for last. (laughs) (laughs) Jessica, it has been so great getting to know you today here on the podcast for sharing your story on the Rural Woman podcast today. I really appreciate it. Thank you for having me, Caitlin. Thanks for listening to the Rural Woman Podcast. A special thanks to our Patreon executive producer, Sarah Reedner of Happiness by the Acre, and to my editor, Max Hofer. For show notes, head on over to wildrosefarmer.com. You can connect with me on social media using the handle at wildrosefarmer on all platforms. If you love the show, make sure you're subscribed wherever you listen to podcasts, plus share it with a friend. We'll see you next time.